Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone, Gabby here. And I'm Brenna. And welcome to the Mystery of Everything podcast. Guys, if anything sounds off or weird, it's because we're not recording in the same place for the first time ever. We're actually recording separately. We're learning. We're learning. So it's like a learning curve, a learning process. James is going to yell at us if this is awful. And we're so sorry, you guys, but we are doing our best. We're doing the best we can. I'm in my pajamas. Me too. It's actually really nice. I'm not freezing in the garage today. No, I am But warm. anyway. But I gave the dogs a bully stick. So if you hear dogs, just know that they finished eating it. James will edit them out, I think. I think. I'm not a miracle worker. Well... Not always. So, uh, first of all, I think it's Christmas when you guys are listening to this. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, This week, (laughs) you're so festive. (laughs) Are those like festive pajamas? Because mine are not festive pajamas. No, they just have mushrooms on them. Slay. Season's beatings. (laughs) That's what everyone says at work. Season's beatings. I don't know what it's from. I have no idea what that. I'm pretty sure they're all like older millennials. I'm sure they're somewhere. Somewhere. If you all okay, know guys. it, then let us know. So this week, I know you're probably expecting deep water disasters, but I, it's Christmas. I can't talk about submarines exploding underwater. That sounds depressing. Instead, I decided, hey, let me look up Christmas mysteries. And since Brenna did Matilda Rooney combusting on Christmas. And that was I actually an there. accident. That was not planned. I was just researching people exploding. And it was like, oh, Christmas. I'm like, what? <laughs> it just so happened that, you know, it was a Christmas episode. But then I was like, oh, I'll just do a, mo- a like a variation of Christmas mysteries. It was supposed to be like a long list. However, the very first topic that I picked, it stuck. It was just so much information. I found a book. I found a book. I found newspaper articles. I found a bunch of like books. I, I, it was a rabbit hole. So now we're here on Christmas Day in 1964 in Warminster, England. Okay, so you're like, Gabby, what is in Warminster, England? Well, Warminster is located in southwest England. It's a town of about 10,000 to 17,000 people, and it's located near the Salisbury Plain military training area. So I don't know what it is, but there's always some weird UFO sightings happening around military bases. And... I'm pretty sure they're connected. But with this, it's so strange that I don't, I don't know, Bren. At the end of this, you need to tell me if you think it's aliens or not. You're going to be the judge because I, 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm excited. I actually don't know anything about this episode. I am not prepared, but I am fully excited. Another cool thing about this town is it's about 15 miles from Stonehenge, like the Stonehenge. This event spans multiple years from about 1965 to 1977. At first, it just started with strange noises, and then it led into very strange UFO sightings. At first, just a few people had very key experiences with sounds and UFOs. But over time, thousands of witnesses saw these UFOs and heard the sounds. It said thousands of witnesses in one of my sources, but I'm starting to think it was like, uh, you know, maybe maybe a hundred. Who's to really say? Who's to say? And then in 1977, the UFO sightings started decreasing until they stopped completely. So that's also really weird. I'm guessing if it was the military base, whatever they were doing, um, they just were like, we got to wrap it up. Everybody's looking. Yeah, like what happened in 1977? The aliens got bored with Warminster and they were like, this isn't working. (laughs) So many of these accounts come from the book In Alien Heat. It is a book. You can go to Google Scholar. You can pull it up. It'll have most of the book. Yep, that's the name of it. It has accounts as published in the Warminster Journal and the book, The Warminster Mystery, which were both written by a journalist who's a very key character in the entire plot of this. In fact, a lot of the accounts, the firsthand accounts, well, they're not firsthand when they get to it. He got the firsthand accounts and then he published it. But most of the accounts have to go through this guy. So do with that information what you will. You'll see what I mean. Our story begins at 1.25 a.m. on Christmas morning in 1964. A woman by the name of Mildred, Mildred Head, woke up to a strange sound. It sounded as though twigs were scratching her roof and then as though there were giant hailstones falling on her house. Hey, this when is she getting cozy. See, yeah, that's kind of like the vibe I really want for this. You yeah, know, like, like James could put some like... Curl up beside sound. a fire and put a blanket on. Well, until you hear um, the rest of it. Oh. (laughs) It sounded as though there were giant hailstones falling on her house. And when she checked to see what was happening, everything outside looked normal. There was no rain. There was no hail. The night was clear. Oh, I would be scared shitless. Yeah, like you're hearing literal like hail and scratching on your roof. I'd probably think it was like a raccoon though. Don't know how it got up there, but it's it's up there. No, I would not think raccoon. That is not where my mind would go. You've never heard of like raccoons in the attic? Well, yeah. You know? But if I if it sounded like giant hailstones, I'm not going to be like, oh, little scratch, scratch of a raccoon. They found marbles. Now they're playing marbles. No. <laughs> no. So the only thing she was able to hear was a humming sound that got louder and then faded away. She described it as a low whistling or Sort of a wheezing sound. I feel like if you interest- ever hear a humming sound, you need to run. Like humming Especially sounds come with something bad. Yeah, like if there's no one around, you hear a humming sound, get the fuck out of there wherever you're at. I would not stick it. But I feel like it's the middle of the night, though. If she lives alone, where's she going? Outside? <laughs> That's true. What year like, is this? 1964. They had yeah. telephones. Call up your neighbor, Susie. And make Susie go outside? Are you coming outside for me if I hear humming, whistling sounds? 100%. That's why we need to live together. I can't tell you how many times I've ran outside in the middle of the night to my neighbor's house. 
Damn, that's brave. I don't, I don't go outside. Um, I just hope for the best. I'm like, I'll call 911. You'll be right. Love you. Like, if I'm in a scary situation, I feel safer outside than inside. Because inside you're contained. Like you're more likely to get got, especially if it's inside with you. Outside, I have more possibilities. I'm free to run. I'm, I don't know. I feel more confined inside. Hmm. Interesting. More likely to die inside, I think. I feel like if it were coming to get you, it was, was going to get you. <laughs> mm. So the interesting thing is that the town was really, really close to a military base. So my first thought is, okay, so it's a military related thing. It's always However, the military. This, I feel like it's so easy to blame them, but I don't know because they're never going to tell us. It's still kind of recent. This was the 60s. Maybe in like another 10 years. We're not going to know. Our children might know. Maybe. The next account in this story, though, actually comes from soldiers at Nook Camp, which is about four miles from Warminster. And they were all awoken by a noise that sounded like a chimney stack was ripped out of the roof and scattered across the whole camp. The interesting thing is the soldiers said the sound was not like conventional aircraft which implies that maybe it was an aircraft. Like, why would they say, hey, it's not an aircraft? Like, nobody asked about an aircraft, bro. Yeah, that's weird. That's definitely also, sus. I know. Like, I feel like they're, maybe they knew that there were going to be weird aircraft tests happening and they were like, oh, we don't want to reveal anything. Well, I mean, like, what kind of camp was this? Is this like a, like, I know it's a military it just camp. just said but, military camp. So I didn't yeah. specify if that's where, like, they fly in and out of or nope they just do military training exercises there because it's a training camp so it could be anything and I don't want to read too much into this because not every soldier at a military base knows classified information oh yeah we talked about with Autag so maybe they were just lowly soldiers who were um being pranked who's to say it's just weird it happened at the same time frame essentially yeah the other part of this story happened with Mrs. Marjorie Bai, who was walking around 6 a.m. to a communion service at Christ Church, Warminster. She noticed a crackling sound coming from the direction of the Bell Hill area of town, and then as she got closer to the church, she got hit by something like shockwaves with intense vibrations. She says she felt as though she was pinned down by the sound. The postmaster of Warminster, Roger Rump, heard sounds around the same time as Mrs. Bai. As he lived pretty close to this church, he described the sound as though roof tiles were being rattled and then plucked off by some tremendous force. He also described an odd humming tone. Mrs. Bai's account and Mr. Rump's accounts of the sounds were drastically different, as you can see. The interesting thing, though, is the reporter who reported on, you know, these events claimed that they heard the same sound he said they heard identical sounds but their accounts were drastically different again and again this is and it's the only person who was publishing these accounts so i was like "Mm, i don't trust him i'm so sorry so if he's the only person that person that published it how do we know their actual accounts was it is it somewhere else how do we know what Um, mrs by and mr rump were up to they existed and I'm assuming they talked to other because they did talk oh, yeah. like people got interviewed by other um, news like national news. Yeah, I keep forgetting people. that this wasn't that long ago too. 
Yeah. And then there was also like a town hall meeting in, I think it was 1965, August 1965, where the entire town got together and they held sort of like a press release that was like, hey, this isn't a big deal. Like, you don't have to worry. And then everybody, they came in and they kind of told their accounts of what happened and national news was there. So I'm assuming they probably told the stories again at this meeting. So other people were able to hear about it. Are town hall meetings still a thing? Yeah, I think so. Maybe they look more like HOA or town council. I've never been to one because it sounds like a nightmare, to be honest. Unless it was about aliens and I'd be there. Yeah, like if it was about some kind of crazy noise or something, I'd be in there. (laughs) Sounds like a vibe. So these four events of hearing strange sounds were just the start. No UFOs were seen at this time, but the sounds continued on and off until June 1966. The Warminster Journal claimed that by August of 1965, over six months later, there were at least 49 witnesses of strange sounds. One account that may have happened. I don't want to be that guy. Sorry, I don't want to be that guy. But so far, it's sounding uh, government related to me. I'm not getting UFO vibes. I'm getting. I'm getting government bombs. It spirals so fast. Like, yeah, I'm thinking like military practices, like jet planes, because it's all going to be like sounds and then odd stuff in the sky and then different accounts of, well, actually, there's a few stranger things and we'll get into it. I don't want to ruin it. No, don't ruin it. I haven't read this script yet, so I'm excited. So one account that may have happened before the first official account of the strange sounds comes from a man by the name of David Holden. He claimed that a flock of pigeons may have been killed by the sounds on April 11th, 1964. Now keep in mind, this story started on December 24th, 1964. But... There's conflicting accounts of the timing of this, with the Warminster Journal citing 1964, while the Flying Saucer Review, which was a book published later on, cites the noises as starting in 1965. The interesting thing to note is that in all of the descriptions, the pigeons were killed at 5 Ash Lane, and David Holton was there as a witness. So those are the only consistencies between the three different published versions of this story, which isn't great at all. So I where think, the UFO I think pigeons probably did die. I think pigeons might have died. Um, I can see that. Depending if maybe there was a military exercise and they got shot or run over by a plane. But he said he saw them die. No, I, I feel like noise so, could have killed the pigeons 100%. Depending on the frequency, potentially, yeah. yeah. So you're probably asking, where did the UFO sightings come in, Gabby? I'm here for some aliens. Well, starting in May 1965, accounts of UFO sightings started coming out. In May and June of 1965, people said a silent cigar-shaped object covered in twinkling lights was described. One person described a sighting where a UFO hovered over the town for about half an hour and then faded away. Lights in the sky were observed and described as huge eyes in the sky or, quote, Car headlights glaring down. Elon Musk. In 1960. Was he alive? How old is Elon? I don't know. Does Elon even age? Come on. I mean, fair. Maybe he could have been behind this, then rebranded as Elon Musk. Is he a lizard person? Wait, isn't that Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Is that how you say it? Mark Zuckerberg. He's the alien man. 
the guy I've doesn't I've only blink. ever seen memes of this. He doesn't really? blink. Yeah, if you look I'm at gonna that, watch. Um, there's a TikTok account that posts, um, like people in it's not court. What is it? It's so funny. It's all the politicians and shit, and then it dubs their voices. It's one of my favorite accounts, but they do one with Mark Zuckerberg, and he talks about being an alien. I'll send it to you after this. I'm, I'm fascinated. Please send. I oh, I need so to know. Good. It's nighttime, so my mind's like blank. But who's that super old lady that looks like she's dead? Because I blink too much. She's in politics. Diane Feinstein. She died, Brenna. <laughs> no. Oh, who is she? She wore pink. There's another in the video one? I'm thinking about. She looks like death. She's pretty popular among some. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's going to kill me. You can continue. I will find her. Okay, you look that up. So the first recorded sighting recorded in this mystery was in a book by Arthur Shuttleworth called The Warminster Mystery. It occurred on May 19th, 1965. A Hilda Hebdige said that three times that week she saw unusual objects in the sky. The interesting thing about this is that the first people she told were the Fleet Street UFO group, which was a local UFO group. So this shows that Miss Hebdige was interested enough in UFOs to know about a local group. Like, I don't know about you, but can you name one local UFO group? No. And I, I, I love aliens. I would love to be part of that, but I, I can. So this implies that there was enough UFO interest or activity in the area to get people to start one of these groups in the first place. There's just a lot to unpack there. She was one of the people who gave the cigar shape covered in lights accounts that I talked about above. And interestingly enough, she said that the lights were vivid shades of gold and yellow and that the UFOs were stationary and made no noise. They were high in the sky and faded gradually as she watched. Okay, time out real fast because I will forget. So I Googled a really old politician woman. <laughs> the first thing that popped <laughs> up was Diane Feinstein. See? But that is not who I was talking about. I was talking about Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's not that old. <laughs> she looks like the Crypt Keeper. I'm oh sorry. James, you can cut that out. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know if you could get canceled for saying that. I'm not. I have no opinions. No opinions except that she looks old. All right. Because she probably is old. Google her age. I bet she's old. I feel like all of the politicians are old. There's oh, they like all two are. sets of politicians. Old. 
super but young the, the or only super reason old. I even brought her up was because that fucking TikTok account that uh, dubs the voices of politicians. They like to do <laughs> hers. And it is so funny. How have I never seen this? What? I don't know. Okay. I'll send it to you. Back to the so UFOs. So our next sighting occurs on June 3rd of 1965. Patricia Phillips described a brightly glowing cigar-shaped object when she also described it as remaining motionless. So we have Hilda Hebditch saying that she saw a UFO and it doesn't move. And then we have Patricia Phillips saying, hey, it really doesn't move. It's scarier when it doesn't move, I think. I know. Like, if it is just moving, hovering, you can mark it off like, oh, you know, it's a plane, it's something. But if it's just hovering, that makes it more real and more alien-like. Also, it's staying there for like, they're, they're saying like 30 plus minutes. And it stayed there so long that her husband, a visitor, and her three children also observed this scenario. Like, this sighting is one of the first mass sightings recorded in Warminster, as many witnesses appeared to corroborate her account. A Mr. and Mrs. Horlock of Warminster described the UFO as twin red hot pokers hanging downwards, one on top of the other, with a black space in between. That sounds like Seven, some demonic shit. It doesn't even sound like a UFO. It sounds like... Um, and it sounds like something scarier. <laughs> yeah, like fat. <laughs> what is the black space in between? I'm so baffled by this. You remember- and it's not the cigar shape. Do you all remember, I'm talking to the listeners too, but a story I previously told about my dad in the UFO whenever he was younger. Yeah, in the field. Yeah, and how it was like it was trying to be invisible, but was unsuccessful at it. Like it was trying to mimic the surroundings. Almost yeah, like, like, a, a, um, like a mirror effect or something. Yeah, but you could still see the outline of it. But it was just chilling, not moving. Huh. So I feel like, I feel like UFO sightings used to be more frequently because maybe they were seeing how much they could get away with or something. Like cloaking devices. Yeah, like they were testing humans and they're like, oh, they're not as dumb as we thought they were. (laughs) In a shocking turn of events, they think. They're like, we got to be quicker than that. (laughs) So Mrs. Phillips said it was um, a cigar-shaped object. Mr. and Mrs. Horlock said it was twin red hot pokers with a black space in between. And then 17 people swimming in a lake near Warminster also saw this UFO and they said it was obviously huge, but very high up. The journalists said that these accounts all came in before any news of this event was published. So they were separate accounts that wouldn't have heard about it from each other. So the major issue, though, with these accounts is that the different groups of people all describe seeing different colors, different shapes, and they also described it as disappearing in different ways. So this could just be because of differences in perception or each person having different memories. But with something as significant as seeing a UFO, you'd think they'd have distinct, vivid memories. Because I would, I would be like, damn, photographic you memory. I'd be like, that, the air smelled. But that's why they can't use, like, people descriptions. And it, Sorry, it's bedtime, so I'm using words like people descriptions. But, like, in murder cases <laughs> and shit or where people are robbed, you can't go by what people say that they saw because one thing about humans is our memory sucks ass and that's all around the board (laughs) we could be at the same exact thing same exact time and have two different distinct stories of what happened even though we witnessed the same thing it's just like if you even talk to i don't know you could talk to psychology 
psychiatrists, therapists, they all say the same thing across the board is your memories aren't what happened. I mean, they're your portrayal. Perception. Yeah, perception of what happened, but they're not necessarily real. And like, I mean, that's like I said, that's why police can't even use uh, testimonies from people because we suck. We're not very good at retaining information and then telling it back like it actually happened. It's the telephone effect. The telephone effect. Yeah. A variation of the story. And each person would have a slightly different variation of the story. I feel like kids used to fuck around during the telephone effect, though, because there's no way it can go from like, oh, a red giraffe to some of the crazy shit that kids came up with. Did you ever play the telephone game in school? Yeah. I did, but we were pretty good at it because we did it. In class, on purpose, it was a listening activity. Yeah, we did it so in class you- on purpose, but I guess people in my class were dumbasses and they'd purposely Because if switched. you messed up, if you messed up, you were in trouble. So like, we had to, we oh, had to no. be on it. We weren't in trouble. <laughs> we were just goofing off. So by the end of it, it would always be something obnoxious, but just because they did it on purpose. I went to Catholic school though, so that might have a little bit of a... Um, that might have a little bit of an influence on the outcome. <laughs> We're not even going to go into my high school because it was something else. I'm terrified. I've heard some stories, so I'm extra terrified. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So on June 19th, 1965, Kathleen Penton saw a shining thing going along sideways in the sky from left to right. It glided over quite slowly in front of the downs. Don't know what the downs are, but I'm assuming those were the hills. Windows, which appeared similar to portholes, ran along the whole length of it. What's a porthole? To my eye, it was the size, um, little circle, like, you know, those little circle porthole, like, you can look out of, you can see them in ships sometimes. Oh, a porthole, like a ship. Okay. Okay. And this is, like, her direct quote. I was thinking of, like, Harry Potter. No, that's a port key. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) continue she said to my eye it was the size of the whole bedroom wall enormous these windows were lit up the color of yellow flames in a coal fire it was very much like a train carriage with rounded ends to it and it did not travel lengthways but was gently gliding sideways but remember how i said that in may we had both strange sounds and ufo sightings well even though these ufo sightings didn't come with sounds People were still having strange sound encounters. People in a town claimed that their houses were rattled and assaulted by sounds. But no sounds were actually linked to the UFOs until August 10th, 1965. At 3.45 a.m. on August 10th, Rachel Atwell was awoken by a dreadful droning sound. She is quoted as saying, It made the bed and floor shake. I went over to the bedroom window and looked out. Between the two bungalows opposite about 200 yards above the range of hills beyond was a bright object like a massive star. I have never believed in flying saucer stories, but I cannot describe it as anything else. It was definitely domed on top and was huge in size, an unwinking light of uncanny brilliance. It hung there in all its glory and did not frighten me, but the awful noise it made did. Hmm. I like that it doesn't have a frightening presence. Yeah, like she said it was chilling, just to sound. I'm also One gonna interesting level with thing. you. I don't know what bungalows are, I'm sorry. They're like little houses. Uh, you never seen a bungalow? Nope. 
doesn't compute. You can stay in them on some like um, jungle adventures. Oh, okay. Like certain resorts. I'm going to have so, to give it a goog. One thing is that this sighting of Rachel Atwell lasted for 25 minutes, made a lot of noise. However, she said, not one of my neighbors on this private estate saw or heard anything. I asked each one of them later that day. Miss Atwell went on to say that the noise was the most upsetting part to her, and she felt as though there was a tight band of steel around her forehead and a hammering in her eardrums. She said the humming faded and the UFO started to flicker. Then the noise stopped and the UFO vanished along with it. Okay, so, so just something's like really up creepy. Because so it let me see here. Tight band of steel around her forehead and a hammering in her eardrums. So like how that one guy said that the noise killed a bunch of birds. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's gotta be the same thing because if she's feeling all that pain in her head, if the noise continued, it could pop her head like a tick, I think. I could see Remember it. Mrs. Bai? Mrs. Bai, her account was like the in-depth account described her as struggling to get into the church because the sound was pressing her down. So yep. whatever frequency they were experiencing sounds terrible like it sounds intense i mean obviously it's terrifying if it's a ufo but it's also terrifying if it's the government because if you could pop my head like a tick just from starting some frequency nearby me something to think about i feel like anybody could do that if they tried hard enough it's not really a thing can you kill me i don't know i don't know google it maybe it's 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 a future episode yeah that's something i'm gonna look into so the journalist for the Warminster Journal and the author of the Warminster Mystery is the same guy, Arthur Shuttlewood. He is said to be credited for some very interesting accounts and has been critiqued by some as being a little bit loose with the truth because in a lot of those accounts, they're embellished. Like the person's version would be simple and then his would have a lot of alliteration and that's how they were able to actually identify when he edited someone's account because it would be very flowery language and not at all what Mrs. Horlock said, you know? So he's accused of changing quotes and having published stories and accounts that contradict one another. As we saw before with Mr. Rump and Mrs. Bai, he was like, oh, they heard identical sounds. And then they were like, ha ha, they're nothing <laughs> the same. Shuttlewood was at first, he claimed to be a non-believer. He thought that the stories were just dramatic tales from locals. That is, until September 28, 1965, when he had an encounter of his own. He observed from his own house a large cigar-shaped craft gliding along a gentle giant in the sky. He's quoted as saying, This thing had power that it was pushing out. I think the ray was pushed out because this is a disbelieving sort of chap and we've got to convince him personally. And guess what? They did. He claims that the object burnt the film in the camera he tried to film it with, stopped his watch, and caused him to get pins and needles sensations in his arms. But while Shuttlewood may have failed to get the UFO on camera, a young man by the name of Gordon Faulkner was able to achieve this on August 29, 1965. So he did this before Mr. Shuttlewood saw it. Okay. He was a local factory worker, and he's quoted as saying, as it flew fast and low over the south of the town, I could just make out the unusual shape. It made no noise. Hurriedly, I got my camera free and pointed it at the aircraft, but the line of flight was too fast to follow. So I held the camera well in front of it and pressed the trigger as it entered the viewfinder. 
I didn't dream I would get anything on film at all, and I was amazed when I saw what came out. So this is History Uncovered, and I'm Kalina. And I'm Austin. We are the co-hosts of the show. History Uncovered is a podcast presented by All That's Interesting, where we both are writers. We cover all sorts of topics, true crime, unsolved mysteries, history, folklore, the paranormal, you name it. We've been doing this now for more than 100 episodes, covering a wide range of topics, and probably something that's bound to be interesting for everyone out there. Absolutely. And in addition to our normal episodes, we also do a history happy hour about the recent news in the world of history and archaeology, which we cover daily on the site, as well as important historical anniversaries. We also have done some special series. We've done one on the Titanic, doing one on Jack the Ripper, mm-hmm. done one about some famous UFO sightings. So if all of that sounds like something that might be interesting to you and you like having a good time, learning new things and maybe maybe laughing or just groaning <laughs> at some bad puns, check out History Uncovered everywhere you get your podcasts. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley. Not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. So, Brenna, I have the photo in here. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, I um, can Do you want to describe? You want to describe what you see? I would like to describe it very much so. All right, this basically looks like any UFO picture you've ever seen, any child's doodle, <laughs> the, your basic UFO. A very blurry yep. one, but, I, I mean, I'm not mad at it. It looks, it looks cool. It definitely doesn't I look like so. anything you would think of. It's not like an airplane, helicopter, none of that shit. You can't mistake this for uh, anything else. Yeah, for anything else. But it does look like your basic UFO. And there is a better version of this, but it's like a web file, so I couldn't download it. But I will try to post it to Instagram for you guys because I thought it was pretty cool. And, you know, it's Gordon's word against ours. And I just—I mean, it is cool. Photoshop for didn't exist. Yeah, for nineteen sixty-five, I ain't mad at it. So I don't know. With all of these sightings being published and stories being sold to international papers, thousands of people began to flock to Warminster in order to have a chance of witnessing the UFO themselves. It is reported that at times the town went up from like ten thousand to eighteen thousand, like it almost doubled in size. The UFO photo caused national publicity. And almost overnight, this town was bustling with alien, like, you know, people coming to see aliens. They're like, oh, my God, where's the aliens? Which you remember a few years ago, what was it, 2019, when people wanted to storm Area 51 <laughs> to cut <cuff> the <laughs> alien cheeks? Yeah. I remember that. Those were um, fun I times. I feel like this is like the 1965 version of clapping alien cheeks. It's always something. So right before the picture, actually, that Gordon took, 
broke, like before he got that photo, literally like two days before, because he got his photo on August 29th and they held a town meeting on August 27th in order to, quote, allay fears that the happenings were a danger to Earth. 500 people attended, including national news stations, and residents expressed concerns and gave accounts of the weird occurrences. 1965, though, was arguably the peak of UFO sightings in the area. And on Christmas 1965, there were so many reports of UFO sightings from different people with different descriptions of sounds and lights and sightings. By June 1966, however, stories started drying up. There were no sounds, and by the end of 1966, sightings were waning. But the town was now on the map, and it was known for its sightings. People started really leaning into it. They sold merch. They opened <laughs> tourist traps. One person even opened a UFO-themed bed and breakfast. The BBC in 1966 actually came to Warminster to film a documentary, and they called it The Pie in the Sky, which I love no, that name. No, they did not. <laughs> the Pie so here's in the, the Sky? Yeah. The pie. I mean, it did look like a pie. They, it did. <laughs> Let me scroll back up. Yeah, it kind of looks like a pie. <laughs> so here's the thing that journalist Shuttlewood so many of these accounts were written by him and I just don't know how I feel about this but in this I don't think I trust Shuttlewood See? I don't know why something's telling me he was not a trustworthy guy and in this BBC documentary he said that he believed the people who said that the UFO was drawn to Warminster as they claimed it had 11 unique lays which channel energy flows and paranormal activity. He said his theory was that the object was extraterrestrial in origin and that it wanted to haunt the town for 14 months, specific, weirdly specific, yeah. to test the reaction of the global community. I don't know about none of that. Which is an interesting theory. Like, why, why would they test Warminster? Um, I don't know. There's just a lot. <laughs> No, I'm not. So I'm not in on that one. I don't like that. That's uh, also where is the information? Who are the experts? What are the lays? Why? Why are the channel energies flowing through Warminster? I really wish I could have found more in that theory, but again, any of these sources, <laughs> the reliable sources, had none of that. I'm gonna shoot that theory down. Yeah, unfortunately, Mr. Shuttlewood, we gotta say no. So in 1967. Dick Howitt, a filmmaker, made a short film called The Warminster Watch. It followed a group of UFO watchers going on an overnight watch in May of 1967. There were 150 sky watchers that were involved, and they observed the sky from Cradle Hill, which was located right next to Salisbury Plain. That's the uh, military base plane. Okay. Sadly, nothing was observed that night. Imagine making a whole little like short film and no, you don't see anything. I'd be so disappointed. Did you I, watch I the short the film. film? No, I didn't watch the short film. Yeah. But guys, go watch the short film. For research. <laughs> I'm sorry. And let us I, know. I couldn't do it. I was at the library. Well, it would be more would be interesting. Loud. It would be more interesting if I actually seen something. <laughs> but do I want to watch a film where I already know that they're not going to find shit? No. So Charles Wakeley, who was the organizer for Skywatch for the towns of Trowbridge and Westminster. If the organizer of Skywatch believes that the cause of the pulsating lights is the military base, I feel like he might know what he's saying. Yeah. He thought that the weird sightings in the area could be due to military activity or even car headlights from a distance. Cause I mean, they're on a hill. It could be some car headlights. So I'm going Just back like, and forth. Like I, 
pulsating lights and then the frequencies and the noises. I feel like I'm going to vote. Uh, I think I'm going to vote military base. Because I just don't know how to explain the hovering, but I'm sure they, <laughs> I don't know. I can't explain the picture. There's also a really fun hoax in here, which shows how easily it, like how easy it would be to everyone if someone were playing a fun little prank. Um, it was kind of a mean prank, though, I will say. He could have done that better. But with waning interest in the UFO sightings and waning sightings in the area, there was a deliberate hoax that did come of all this. In March of 1970, a British physicist by the name of David Simpson was performing a study of the competence of UFO investigators and UFO investigations. He essentially staged a flying saucer appearing in the night sky with a burst of purple light. There was a strong magnetic field present, which was indicated by a detector, and about 30 witnesses of the Cradle Hill Skywatchers witnessed this, and they were able to take photos of the saucer moving through the sky. Experts claimed that those photos could not have been faked, but David Simpson did in fact fake them in a series of controlled hoaxes. My man David he coming through. Right? He faked this by flashing a purple light toward Cradle Hill on March 28, 1970. He switched it on for five seconds, then off for five seconds, and finally he left it on for 25 seconds. The magnetic feel was, quote-unquote, created by someone working with him who sounded a fake alarm to give off, you know, the detection of a magnetic field presence. Yeah. The photos were pre-exposed to show the saucer, so while the photos were taken directly from the cameras, they were already compromised, and even with careful investigation by UFO organizations, they weren't able to find any evidence of it being a hoax. But it's really funny because they literally, like, purposefully did things to the photos, like, doctored them to make it seem fishy. Yeah. But everybody who was a quote-unquote expert who was uh, investigating, they missed all of it. Like, they cut out headlights. Um, they had, like, different colored lights. People were like, oh, I saw red lights. But then in all the photos, there were no red lights. It was kind of a mess. They, you see what you want to see. Yeah. And so he said that he did this to, quote, show gullib to show that such gullibility is typical of what he found among UFO investigators. This is worth remembering when enthusiasts accuse skeptics of bias. The irrational thinking of UFO, UFOlogists. I didn't know that was a thing. It is a thing. UFOlogists. That's cool. But he says their thinking is infection and has often provided the media with entertaining headlines. Simpson warns, adding, as a result, certain members of the general public on seeing something in the sky that is strange to them describe not what they saw, but what they think they ought to have seen. After the hoax, one of the last UFO-related events that occurred was in August 1973, when it was predicted that a UFO might land at Clay Hill, which was located southwest of Warminster. The prediction may have come from, remember, Shuttlewood? Which back in ninety oh, that guy. back in nineteen sixty six, he was claiming that UFO nests were found, and UFO nests were essentially places where the craft landed before taking off again. And these UFO nests are known as what we would call crop circles. And Warminster did have a, like a bunch that would pop up throughout this time. In fact, today I mean crop circles are pretty cool. Well, here's the cool thing: even today, eight crop circles that are reported occur in Warminster's Wilshire County. So there's someone that spends like at least six hours a day <laughs> just going around the fields of Warminster. I feel like, like I have to keep this alive. That's so much commitment. For the family. So <laughs> Shuttlewood also was claiming to have seen two UFOs per week since 1966. And this was in like 1970 something. And he published four books on the topic. So again, 
Shuttlewood is raising some major red flags, guys. Let me know what you think in the comments and like in messages about his credibility because I'm just really skeptical. Like he really monetized this. He really did. So what could the Warminster mystery have been? My first guess would be military activity from the training grounds. We know time and time again that there are weird things that occur around military bases. And when the War Department was asked about the mystery, they remained tight-lipped about it. Salisbury Plains, however, at any time has the presence of flying tracer shells or missiles. People who live in the area still see lights flashing in the sky from that military base. But most people at this point in time kind of feel the difference. On August 17, 1965, there was one event, though. Vibrations from what felt like a large explosion rocked or a state, breaking windows, and one witness said he saw an arch flash in the sky. People claim that this is likely from the explosion because where Borkham Field was located is again Salisbury Plain. However, what the military like doing during these incidents, I feel like if you're doing explosions, like a military base, you'd, you'd be careful, right? I don't know. No, you're a military base. You wouldn't be careful. You wouldn't give a shit, especially <laughs> during the 60s. And the question does remain that if the locals live there for a long time, they would probably know the difference between regular routine military exercises and then what they experienced. If this wasn't caused by military activity, some experts have proposed that it was caused by ball lightning, which is really cool, you guys. Never heard of it. Okay, it's one of the rarest form of lightning. This is what Discovery.com had to say. Ball lightning looks just like windows breaking them. For centuries, floating above the ground during electrical storms. Well, I have a new fear. <laughs> well, sometimes the ball passes through a closed window or appears in the middle of a room, but almost always it blinks out of existence after about 10 seconds. In 2012. That sounds paranormal to me. In 2012. That doesn't sound scientific. Well, they're, they're doing a lot of research on it because the first ball lightning was captured on camera. And since then, there have been numerous theories as to its true cause. One such theory was published in the journal Optic which says that the spherical shell is full of highly compressed air, which makes white light rotate in all directions, like a ball rolling around in the sky. The researchers noted that the intensity of this rare lightning is almost a billion times greater than lightning that moves in a straight line. And honestly, guys, looking into this, ball lightning could be a whole episode of its own. There are accounts of it going back centuries, and it was fascinating. Also, there's other forms. So you could get killed with this rolling ball, just boom, smack in the chest, dead. I don't know if anybody's been killed by it, actually. I haven't looked into that. Through your fucking maybe. window. You're just chilling in your bedroom watching forensic files. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to go, though. <laughs> a good show, and then you're just chilling? Slay. <laughs> and then it disappears just as fast, <laughs> and there's no trace oh, of it. Oh, there's your combustion. That is how people's... <laughs> I was literally about to say that is how spontaneous combustion came is fucking balls of There's really lightning. cool forms of lightning though. There's one called sprites. Like it's called sprite lightning. You gotta look it up. I'll send you the article after this. I thought it was a really neat um article. I didn't know there were so many types of lightning and now I'm like, mm, maybe I'll stay inside for the rest of my life. With the windows locked, double layered, um, I was going to say, it doesn't matter if you're inside. If it's coming for you, that's, that's your it's way like, that you're going. I mean, it would be a cool Final way destination, go. and it's just ball lightning. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do not tell this to someone that has OCD. Oh, shoot. Um, it won't come after you because you are non-lightning worthy. That sounds mean. It's okay. I kind of don't believe it's a thing. <laughs> I know scientists do, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a scientist and I don't know if I believe it's we'll a thing. We'll have to ask like a meteorologist maybe and be like, hey, what's up with that little ball lightning? You know, I don't know. That could be an episode. I am interested. We could interview someone who's really familiar with lightning. I'll look into that. I could probably find a professor. Okay. So another explanation, maybe one from Paul Devereaux, which says that on Christmas Eve, 1965, Britain experienced its largest recorded meteorite fall at the village of Barwell Leicester. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how you say that. You guys always leave out half the pronunciation of your towns. And it stresses me out. Leicestershire. Yeah, but they never say it's it like, like that. Worcestershire. It's like Worcestershire. Yeah, but Leicestershire. But they leave out like a lot of. They leave a lot of it. Um, because it's Worcestershire. Because you never say all the parts of that word. I don't know. No, it's Worcestershire. <laughs> oh my god. So loud acoustic phenomenon accompanied its fall, breaking glass many miles away. But more remarkably, its arrival was preceded by curious hissing sounds issuing from the ground. And Shuttlewood did report a similar occurrence in February 1975 at Star Hill near Warminster. He reported, We heard an eerie crackling noise emanating from the rain-soaked soil before us, about 10 yards or so ahead. It came toward us from the heights of Battlesbury. It was somewhat like static on a radio set, with a distinct electrical element involved in the creeping carpet of sound. It was much as if a serpent was uncoiling and thrusting its sinuous length across the ground. Nope, don't like that. So don't like that at all. After hearing all of this, it could have been simply meteor showers and other such coincidences that led to this phenomenon. My personal belief is that, yes, there were more than likely some interesting encounters. But over time, as the, as the news of it grew, I think people may have exaggerated or even Shuttlewood himself may have seen the opportunity for a sensation. And he went with it because, I mean, it put Warminster on the map. You know? Yeah. And our man Shuttlewood, he likes to exaggerate. I know. Come on. You don't understand. Some of his accounts were just straight like poetic. And I'm like, why would you change The man change loves it? to embellish. He changed them all from like direct quotes to just like potential quote adjacent, like <laughs> direct adjacent. He wants adjacent. to give him, give him the old razzle dazzle. And he did. I think it was like, <laughs> he created something that was almost magical. And people, People ate it up. I, I was like, heck I'm yeah. I'm sure some people still do. Like, I'm sure some people to this day are like, that man Shuttlewood, he he knows. But I really believe that it wasn't, it maybe wasn't just like one of these things. Like, why not all of them? Why can it be the meteor shower and ball lightning at certain other points? Because it was spanned such a long time. It was like 1965 to 1977. Why can it be those different phenomena at all different times? I feel like, that's reasonable. They don't have to have one main cause. But whatever it is, it's still an unsolved mystery to this day. I mean, people publish articles all the time. They're like, oh, Warminster mystery solved. And then it's like not actually solved. But thank you guys so much for listening. Please let us know what your theory is. What do you think happened here? And if you want additional so, info. Gary, yep. Definitively. Three seconds. What do you think? I don't think, I think it was just military stuff and um, lightning okay. and other phenomena. What do you think? I, I agree. I think it was, I think it was military. Yeah. Or government, gov I don't know. I, wanna, was, I don't think it was UFO. I want to look at some other like UFO sightings. However, I feel like they're so overdone. Like the main ones, 
everybody's done it. Everybody's done it, you guys. But I love, I love alien sightings. I like to see if I can um, rationalize it in my brain. But if you guys want to know anything about the episode, make sure to reach out to our email. Brenna, what's the email? The email is mysteryofeverythingpod at gmail.com. Yeah, and I can send you sources and links and anything from my research. Have a very merry, merry Christmas. Do not see aliens tonight. Merry Christmas. And a happy new year. (laughs) Jimmy down the chimney tonight for me. I don't do that for just anybody. You gotta like really make her sound majesticer, more majestic. That word. No, that's the beauty of it. Is my siblings always ask me? They're like, "Please do Santa Baby in your smoker's voice." <laughs> I'm not a cigarette smoker, yeah, but Santa Baby. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm, <sorry. laughs> I'm gonna regret doing that. But yeah, um, follow us on Instagram at Mystery of Everything Pod and. Thanks for listening. Send us in any stories you have. We love them. Love them. Oh, yeah. And subscribe to our Patreon that we haven't made yet. But I promise we're probably going to make it today or tomorrow, maybe. Yes, we shall. Bye, guys. Bye. Serial killers, strange disappearances, unexplained mysteries, terrible disasters. I'm Nate Hale, and in my show, The Conspirators, I'm here to tell you all the stories from history your teacher never told you about. Hear the real story behind the Bermuda Triangle, or about the serial killer operating in Nazi-occupied Paris, or what dark secret lurked within the walls of a Scottish castle. Listen to The Conspirators on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.